You guys have your Bibles today? I have my Bible. I actually have my wife's Bible today. I mistakenly uh, took hers instead of mine. So I'm going to be using my wife's Bible, which is probably more anointed than mine. Um, and and I want I want to ask you to open it up to Genesis. And if you don't know where Genesis is, just ask the person next to you. They should be able to find it for you real easy. Uh, Genesis 39 is where I'm going to turn. So what I'm going to ask you to do is just take the ribbon in your Bible and place it in Genesis 39. Or if you're using an app, you can just, you know, close your screen for now. I'll get there in just a moment. I just want to let you guys know where I'm headed. I'm going to Genesis 39. I want to talk a little bit about the life of Joseph and more specifically two instances in the storyline of Joseph and how he took ownership over some really bad circumstances, all right? And uh, over the last two weeks, if you've been here, I have been reading from Ephesians chapter 4 on a very famous passage of Scripture about the fivefold ministry. How many of you have heard a good message on the fivefold ministry? If you've been here in the last two weeks, I'd love for you to indulge me and raise your hand right now. <laughs> You know, because I just spoke on the fivefold ministry to some extent. So thank you. Um, I feel great, man. You guys are so supportive. I feel so championed this morning. Thank you so much for encouraging me. And what I found very interesting about the fivefold ministry that I'd never seen before as I studied it over the past two weeks is that the role, the assignment, the calling, the anointing of the fivefold ministry is to equip, everybody say equip. The saints, everybody say, that's me. That's me. For the work, everybody say, work. Do you, you guys hear that? It was like some good reverb right there. Yeah, it was a little extra. Ba bow. For the work of the ministry. Everybody say, the ministry. the ministry. And this word ministry in the Greek, it paints a picture that I found to be very interesting, which is to wait tables. Wow. That is very interesting because the calling that God has placed upon the fivefold ministry, uh, church leaders, governmental leaders in the body of Christ is to equip believers, which means to set a goal and move them towards that goal, to equip leaders for the work. And I looked that up in Greek as well. It actually means work. So work, it means work, and it, it's, not a, it's not an intellectual work, it's a physical work. It means to get your hands dirty. It means to put in a little time, a little elbow grease into waiting tables, into serving the people of God, into serving humbly the world, into serving people in love. And so when I read through that and I found that that's what it meant, I thought to myself, man, I am not doing the best job at equipping the saints for the work of the ministry because I've always felt a little awkward about asking people to serve. Now, I'm just, is it okay if I'm vulnerable with you for a moment? I've always felt a little awkward about that because, you know, I thought, well, you know, they're not getting paid. And so we shouldn't ask them to serve. And we do ask some people to serve from time to time. But I've always just felt like, you know, I don't want to put too much on people. And, and what I felt like God whispered to me as I studied that was, if the motivation is to work people to the bone, then they're not going to grow. That's not why the fivefold ministry have been called to equip us. It's not to get slave laborers, not to get free hours. That's not the point. 
The reason why the fivefold ministry have been called to equip us as believers is so that the whole body of Christ, you and I, individually and collectively, would grow. Everybody say grow. Would grow to maturity into the full stature of Jesus Christ. That we would function like Christ. That we would live like Christ. That we would think like Christ. That we would speak like Christ. And the message today is the subversive secret of growth. And the reason why I titled that is because I've realized through this study is that serving is one of the greatest instruments to our personal growth. It really is. The Bible is very clear about this. When we get our hands dirty and when we serve, we expand. When we serve one another in love with good motives, we grow. When we make ourselves uncomfortable on behalf of each other, we grow to become more like Jesus. The reason why this is so subversive is because our culture today moves in the very opposite direction. And they say, what can I get out of this? How how is this going to benefit me? You know, how much am I going to get paid? How much is the check going to be? How long do I have to do that? Do I really have to do that? You guys know what I'm talking about, right? But see, what Jesus said to us was, I didn't come here to get served. I didn't come here to be served, but I came here to serve. And if God wrapped himself in flesh and became a human being and walked the earth as Jesus Christ and said, I came here to serve, how much more should we as Christ's followers are bent be towards not being served, but serving? Because Christ showed us this subversive path to follow, that if we would serve, we would become more like him. That if we would serve each other, we would become more like him. And, and just a disclaimer, I'm not just talking about serving the local church, but it would be a good place to start, especially if you're bent against it. Because it, it, it would help you grow, okay? Can I say that emphatically? Nothing wrong with ser- serve a nonprofit, serve in the city, start your own ministry. Do, you know, do whatever you feel like God's calling you to do. But also serve in the local church because it's a family and it's a home that God has designated for us to bless one another so that all of us would grow to become mature. Amen? Are you guys with me this morning? I know this, this is a bit countercultural, and it kind of goes against the grain of what our culture teaches us, but I, I'm having a family conversation with you today. Is that okay? Yes. I want to give you a little bit of history on our church. Some of you know this, some of you don't know this, but we really started as a missions ministry bent to serve about six years ago. We planted this ministry, and it was called Iris Nashville. Anybody in here uh, familiar with Iris Global? Heidi and Roland Baker. If, you, if you've not heard of them before, you've got to YouTube them, all right, because you, your life will be uh, wrecked, as uh, Mama Heidi says. And so for me, I was a missionary uh, for five years to both India and Africa, and so uh, Heidi and Roland, they sent me, uh, as well as a small crew of people, to Nashville. They laid hands on us. They blessed us. They commissioned us to come here and to launch uh, Iris Nashville. So as we began our our church, we really didn't think of it as a church, but much more a service-oriented ministry. And and we did uh, meet on Sunday evenings at seven o'clock. Some of you guys know this. We'd have meetings until 3 a.m. sometimes. You know, so not really a refined church, you know, not really the kind of church that you invite your friends to if you know that they're going to be freaked out by two hours of worship. You know what I'm saying? You guys know what I'm talking about, right? You ever been to a church you just like, you know, you're afraid to invite your friends to? Yeah, we were that church. 
And, um, you know, as, as we started, it, it was interesting because at the same time that we planted here, my parents actually went to a city called Owensboro in Kentucky, and they planted there. And although we started with the name Iris and my parents started with the name Promised Land, we began talking very quickly about how we could do ministry more effectively together. And uh, that was something that we'd done in the past as I served my parents as their youth pastor. But we really had a hard time doing it as I was a missionary overseas. You know, they, they sent me, they prayed for me, they gave and all that. But now that I was stateside, it seemed interesting to us after a year, why are we not doing this together? You know, why are we down here, you know, doing one thing as Iris? Why are you guys up there doing one thing as Promised Land? Is there a way that we might be able to do this together? So we started talking about that behind the scenes. And for two years, we prayed into it. We had conversations. We spoke over dinner. And we talked about what it would look like to unite together as one church in two locations, both having its, their own respective leadership. But how would we do that? And as we began to talk about that and pray into that, we arrived at the understanding that that was something we wanted to do. And the way that we could do it was by rebranding and naming our churches the same name and begin working together as Legacy. Now, when we went to Heidi and we told her, I've got to be honest, I was very scared. Because I was like, okay, I know Heidi to be very merciful, very loving, but I don't know what she's going to say about us changing the name from Iris to something else. And so I'm hiding it in my heart that I'm going to tell her, hey, we're going to change the name of the church to Legacy. And before I can finish, and before I ever tell her the name that we have in mind, she's like, you guys got to do this. You got to do Legacy. We're all about Legacy. God's all about Legacy. Do the Legacy. And I'm like, hey, you want to know what the name of the church we thought of is? She's like, what? And I'm like, Legacy. She's like, ah. This is God, you know, and so we were at J. Alexander's here in Nashville, just very excited. This is great. This is God, you know, and so January the 1st of 2016, we rebranded both here and in Owensboro, Kentucky, and we launched Legacy, and so I really count us planting. Yeah, it's a, it's a good thing. Amen. Uh, a year and a half ago, we really planted Legacy Church, the local church. We pre-existed as a missions base, but we really planted the local church here in January 2016. And then we launched, I would say, really in September of last year when we, when we held our very first Sunday morning service. And so I don't know about you guys, but I'm very encouraged by the fruit that God is allowing to blossom in our local family as a result of what he's doing in us. I mean, in just a year and a half, I think when we left Belmont, we were a band of about 80 to 100 people. And now on Sunday mornings, man, our children's ministry is exploding. We have 40 to 60 kids down there every Sunday morning. We have somewhere between 250 to 300 people worshiping here every Sunday morning. I think it's amazing what God is doing. I want you guys to know, like, you're a part of something. And this is not about building a business or creating a brand. This is about raising up a family. This is about cultivating a family. And, 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 and we're good with moving at the pace of grace as long as it looks like, feels like family that God's ordained for us. So I'm giving you guys this history because as we, uh, as we gave this name, legacy, to the local church, uh, you know, 
my parents and I, we spoke, Allison and I, we hung out with them. And we're like, okay, you guys do your thing there. We'll do our thing there. You know, we'll get together uh, every now and then for, you know, a powwow. But, you know, you guys just do your thing. We'll do our thing. And pretty soon we realized we need to actually um, come together in more ways than one. We need to come together around a common mission. We need to come around a common why. Like, why are we planting this local church? And although, you know, my parents said, hey, you guys do your thing there. Uh, We'll do our thing here. Allison and I really felt to honor them as our parents and as our pastors and defer to them and ask them, hey, why do you guys feel that we are a church? What's our mission? You, You speak into it. We'll help you craft it, but we'll roll with you. And after six months of prayer, here's what we come up with to grow the family of God. So if you've ever wondered like what our mission statement is here or why we are a local church or why we're gathering or why we started, it's this reason, to grow the family of God. Can you guys say that with me? To grow the family of God. Now that is the mission that you are on if you are a part of this church, to grow the family of God. Many people ask me, what do you guys mean by that? To grow the family of God? What does that even mean? Like, you guys always talk about family. You don't know about my family experience. I didn't have a family growing up. My family was terrible. My family was mean. My family abandoned me. My family pushed me out when I was 12. Like, when you guys say family, all I feel is, ouch. And so I I recognize that we all come together collectively with a different definition of what family is. But we ask the Lord, God, would you define what family is for us? So that as we speak this over our church, we could all unite around a common definition. What do you mean, God, when you say family? And here's what we feel like God means when he says that we're called into a family. A family is where you're loved into your purpose. That's what we feel like God's given us as a definition of family. It's where you're loved into your purpose. See, I want this to be a purposeless free zone. I don't want anybody to be able to attend church here, be a part of this church community, and live life exempt of their purpose. I want them to know why they're alive. You remember what I said, painting the the goal. That's the the responsibility of church leaders. I want them to know why they're alive. And then we as a church body, we love one another into our purpose. We lead one another to that goal so that we're fully functioning in the reason why we're alive, not the reason that the world tells us that we're alive, not the reason that Instagram tells us we're alive, not the reason that Facebook tells us that we're alive, not the reason that commercials tell us why we're alive. You should be living for this. Live for that money. Live for that car. Live for that house. Live for that job. Live for these clothes. Live for these shoes. But that collectively and all together, we break off this cycle of consumerism that we live in today, and we love one another into our purpose as a family, not as a business, not as a corporation, but as a family, as a church community, as a body that has real love for each other. And that, that, that's what we feel like our mission is, and, and that's what we feel like family is. But what do we mean by growth? Yeah, that's the other thing, right? To grow the family of God. And I think sometimes when people hear that, they're like, what do you guys mean by growth? You know, what are you trying to do? Are you trying to create a multi-level marketing, like pyramid scheme? Like, you know, what's your deal? What's the buy-in thing? You know, that's what people think. Like, is there something wrong, something fishy about this? You know, like, yeah, what are you guys trying to do? I don't know, maybe you've never heard that before, but me as a pastor, like, you know, I met with some opposition there, like, what is this? 
What do you guys mean by growth? And here's what we mean by growth. Personal growth. We're, we're going to start here. This is the base layer. I'm talking about you being big, not in stature, but in spirit. That, that's what we mean when we say to grow the family of God. We want you to know what we feel God's given us as an assignment in this church, which is to grow you in spirit. So for you to be big in your spirit, big in your heart, big in your love for God, that you would love him with your whole heart, whole mind, whole soul, whole strength, and that you would love your neighbor as yourself. Like if you've ever wondered like what our goal for you is, I've been saying this the last two weeks, God has a goal for your growth. It is this, for you to get really big in your spirit and love God with your whole self and love your neighbor as your whole self. Because that's what Jesus says is the greatest commandment in all of the Bible. That is what he refers to as the great commandment. And that's where we pull our mission from is Jesus' great commandment. And as we grow individually, as we grow as disciples, as we grow as spiritual people, then what ends up happening is the kingdom is advanced. The church body grows. The church as a whole grows. The capital C church grows, thus fulfilling the Great Commission. Matthew 28, 18 through 21. We see that happening, that there's corporate growth. But it has to start here. It has to start with personal growth. You guys with me this morning? Is it okay that I'm giving you guys a little family conversation? Is that cool? So here's what I've realized about your growth. I'm, I'm preaching this for a purpose, all right? It's because I am very passionate, and I feel God's leading me to be very passionate about your growth, about your personal growth. And here's what I want. If you're taking notes, write this down. Your growth is connected to your contribution. I'm going I'm to I'm try on this side. I'm going to go after some more amens, okay? Your growth is connected to your contribution. If you're not growing in the way that you want to, if you're not growing at the pace that you want to, if you're not growing in the way that you feel you're called to, ask yourself that question, am I contributing? Am I here to take or am I coming to give? You know, what's my posture? How, how, how am I approaching church? Because how you approach something uh, will determine how you experience it. If you approach church like a business, the only way you're going to experience church is like a business. That's, that's what you're going to get out of it. If you believe, hey man, church is just a business, that's all it is, you know, then yes, you are going to experience church as a business. But if you truly believe that Jesus died for the church, which is a family and not a business, and you approach the church properly, then how you're going to experience it will be different. Am I helping you guys this morning? I really do feel like I'm laying a foundation for some truth here. And you know, I, I want to say, we don't always get it right. We don't, we don't always have it. We don't have it figured out. We definitely haven't arrived at all this. But this is where we feel the Holy Spirit's leading us. This is what, what, I'm, what I'm trying to echo today is what we feel. And when I say we, I'm talking about our core leadership team, our pastors, our board. We feel the Holy Spirit's like drawing us deeper into because in a time where our culture is so filled with consumerism and getting and acquiring and taking and just amassing more and more and more stuff and, and things and <coughs> idols, you know, and <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Uh, that we would go in the opposite spirit, that we would go in a different way. 
And, and if you've never seen church as this before, I just want you to see it differently. Church is an opportunity to contribute to a family. And the byproduct of your contribution is your growth and your spiritual maturity. And you know what always accompanies maturity? Fruit. Fruit. That always accompanies your maturity. And if you don't feel like that you're bearing fruit... I think you need to examine the roots that you've planted in. Do you have any roots in the local church? Are you really planted? Are you, are you really rooted? Have your roots gone down deep? Or are you just surfacy? Because you're not going to get any fruit being surfacy. Are you guys getting anything out of this? We don't get fruit out of things that, that we don't, Take ownership in. And, 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 you know, that's where I really want to connect you with the story of Joseph in Genesis 39. Let's read it together. It says, Now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had brought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him down there. And the Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man. And he was in the house of the Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. I don't know about you guys, but I'll take that, that, that Joseph uh, blessing. Yeah. Everything I touch is successful. Everything I'm a part of is successful. How about you guys? You want that anointing? I, I tell you what, man, I'll take that Joseph anointing. I, I, I love to hear about how Joseph was in a negative circumstance, but he made a positive contribution. And that's what we see in the life of Joseph. It says, Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him. This man purchased Joseph, and Joseph found favor in his sight, and he attended him, and Potiphar made him overseer of his house, and he put him in charge of all that he had. He was elevated in position. From the time that he made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. Now, that tells you right there that even if your boss is bad, the business will still, still be blessed because of your presence. Yeah. Yeah. Because you're there. Because you're there. Because you're a part of it. That things get blessed, things change, the atmosphere is different because of the presence of your light in the midst of that darkness. That's what Joseph was doing. And the, the blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in his house and in his field. So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge. And because of him, he had no concern about anything but the food that he ate. Now, I think that we would all agree that Joseph's circumstance is not good. Yeah. Could we all agree that Joseph is in a rough uh, season of life. He's in a bad place. I mean, after all, he's been sold into slavery by his own brothers. Then he's brought uh, to a man named, named Potiphar's home where he is forced to work, but we see Joseph in the midst of his bad circumstance making a positive contribution and being elevated and being given favor and everything that he touches turns to gold. Why? Because he takes ownership. He puts his roots down deep. You know, he has a word. He has a promise. He's had a dream. He knows that where he's at is not where he's going. He knows that the future is bright. He, he's seen, you know, the dream. He knows that he's called more to more than Potiphar's house. But that does not keep him from putting roots down in Potiphar's house. 
See, we got to bloom where we're planted. Just because we have a big future doesn't mean we don't take ownership over our present. Maybe the reason why you haven't stepped into your future yet is because you've not taken ownership over your present. Because you've not taken responsibility for where you are. So God can't push you into where he has you going. Because he's saying, hey man, I need you to mature. I need you to get a little bit bigger. I need you to grow. So that I can plant you in your future. But you're so surfacy in your present, you can't grow. You're not getting big enough to go to the place that I have you for. I need you to take ownership over your present so that I can push you into your promise. So Joseph, he's like, man, I'm putting down roots right here. I've ha I have a dream. I know something awesome is about to happen in my life. And this ain't everything I'm called to. After all, I'm a slave. But I'm going to take ownership over my circumstance. I'm going to take ownership in this bad situation. I'm going to take ownership at this job that I don't like, that I know is beneath the promise that God's called me to. I'm going to take ownership. And the principle that we see here in the word is this, is that blessing always flows upon ownership. Blessing happens when we take ownership. Blessing follows ownership. So I want to say if you don't own it, God can't bless it. If you don't take ownership of it, you don't get to be a part of the blessing of it when it succeeds. If you don't put down any roots in the church, if you don't take ownership or personal responsibility in the church, then you won't get the blessing when the church bears fruit or when the church grows or when testimonies happen. You'll be ejected and disconnected from it. You'll say, I don't, whatever. I mean, they're up there giving another testimony. I, uh, hey, I mean, they're always talking about these good things. I don't see any good things. Everything's bad. It's like, well, you haven't taken any ownership. You haven't taken any responsibility. You're on the surface. So you don't get to eat the spoils or enjoy the fruit like everybody else does. And you're thinking, what are these people? These people are being fake. Get out of this. I'm ejecting. I'm going to Facebook. Hey, I, am I telling the truth, you guys? Okay, I'm just trying to help you, okay? I'm not trying to offend you, but, you know, hey, if you don't make it yours... The blessing won't be yours. There's a big difference in people who take ownership over something and people who just rent stuff. Right? There's a big difference in people who take ownership over something and people who just rent stuff. You know, I love hotels. Personally, I love hotels. I love nice hotels. Four to five star hotels are so nice. So good despite how expensive their breakfast is. You know, it's so nice. You know, even my birthday's coming up here in a few weeks, and I'm probably going to go stay in a hotel on my birthday because that's how much I like hotels. Seriously, I just think it's fun. I mean, I don't even think it's gross that I, like, you know, am, like, rubbing myself down with a washcloth somebody else used 24 hours earlier. You know, I just, I'm just like, this is so fun. This is great. You know why I like hotels? Because I don't have to pick up nothing. I love that about hotels. I just stay, you know, I shower. I'm like, towel, whatever. Somebody else will get that. No need to make up the bed either because the maid's going to come around. I'm very excited about when I finish with dinner, I come back, my bed's going to be made up, be a chocolate on my pillow. It's going to be awesome. I ain't even got to worry about turning the AC off either. No big deal. Somebody else paying for that. I ain't even turning the TV off. I don't care. I'm leaving the TV on because I ain't paying that bill. I have no ownership in this place. All I have is I'm just renting. I'm just renting the hotel. You know, it's just fun. It's fun to rent. It's fun to, you know, stay in a hotel. But you know what I don't get to share in? When the hotel 
uh, receives an increase in revenue, I'm not a part of that blessing. When, when more people start to visit that hotel than ever before, I don't celebrate. I have no reason to celebrate when the hotel does good. When they win awards from the city, I don't celebrate. I don't get to participate in the fruit because I have never put down roots. I am only renting. I've never taken ownership. And ownership can be, uh, well, renting can be fun for a time, but God has more for us than just getting the surface benefits of participating like a renter in church. A lot of people don't feel blessed by church because they take no ownership over church. They're not there to contribute. They're there to consume. They're treating church like a very cheap hotel room. They're just passing through. They're not there to stay. Don't tell me that this is your church if you leave the TV on all day when you leave, if you leave the towels on the floor, if you leave trash everywhere, always expect the paid people to take care of everything. That, that's renting. That's not ownership. You know, if, if someone came over to your house, especially if you pay the mortgage, I know that you wouldn't say, oh, yeah, I just mow the lawn here. Right? Because that's something that consumers say. That's something that renters say. That's a great thing about renting. Something goes wrong in the house, you just pick up the phone. Landlord, I need to come over. I need to fix this. But see, owners don't have that luxury. Owners have to take personal responsibility for the problem and then find a solution. And that's how you can always identify a renter versus an owner. Because a renter always points out the problem. And owners create solutions for the problem. And you always can feel when you're around a renter because they're like, that's wrong. I hated that. Can't stand that. Hate how that door is. Hate the donut flavors. Don't like the coffee. I didn't like the worship. You know, the question is never how was the worship. The question is how was your worship? Because if you're full of the Holy Ghost, it doesn't matter if the cord or the keys or everything is on the right thing. It doesn't matter if they sang your favorite song or the one that you like from the radio. It doesn't matter because you have taken ownership over the atmosphere that you find yourself in. You have invested yourself. You've taken responsibility. And so you're receiving fruit even when it's not at your preference because you're like, I own this thing. This is awesome. This is great. I have personal responsibility. God's good. I don't know, at least that's my experience in church. I want to show you guys just super quick, just a little thing that I created about renters versus owners so that you guys can get kind of an idea of what I mean by this. Renters, this is what they say. That's their church. Here's what owners say. This is my church. That's what owners say. Here's what renters say. Well, you know, I serve because I feel like I should or I serve because they expect me to or I serve because... And I do it to make myself feel good. But owners say, I serve to make an impact. And that's why I'm serving. Uh, Renters say, I have to. I have to do this. Owners say, I get to. Renters say, that's not my job. Owners say, what else can I do? Renters say, serving is something that I do. But owners say, building the church is part of who I am. It's my identity as a member of the body to participate in the maturing of the bride. Amen. This is my calling. This is my assignment. Like, we don't get out of it. It's not a suggestion. Like, it is something that we've been engrafted into. You guys with me? Renters say, I serve when it's convenient. 
Owners say, I serve because I'm called. Renters say, I served. You're welcome. (laughs) Owners say, I served. Thank you for that opportunity. I grew today. I became bigger today. I was inconvenienced today in the baby room and it wasn't really that fun. But you know what? I stepped over myself. I stepped over my emotions and I matured. Like, wow. And there was, a li- there was a little guy, man, he got touched by the Holy Spirit. And I get to walk away with that testimony in my spirit. And I'm like, wow, I was a part of something today. Like God touched people and I got to be a part of it. Versus the other hand, yeah, you know, whatever. Just... It's quiet in here. You guys with me today? Yeah, I, I, that's, see, you, here, here's, a th- here's a difference in, in, in how leaders respond to situations. Leaders always own their world. They always own the atmosphere. They don't look around to blame people when problems arise. If you're a leader, then you take charge over the atmosphere. It's your God-given metron of influence and you take responsibility for what happens there. You know, renters are always thermometers. They're constantly taking the temperature temperature of the room and they're developing an opinion on the basis of their preferences on the other hand owners are always thermostats they take responsibility over the environment and the atmosphere and they set the temperature they don't like the negativity that's present in the room they bring positivity into the room they don't like the level of darkness that's in their office they bring light into their office they don't like the measure of gossip that's happening on their job then they start to bring love and honor and respect to their job they don't come under the influence of darkness they make darkness come under under the influence of the light of Jesus Christ. And and when I say this is what you're called to, guys, this is what you're called to. There's no wiggle room in this. We're all called to be disciples. And if you want to, you can exchange the word disciple for leader. Because all of us who are disciples are called to be disciplers, which means we're called to be leaders. And so I'm having a bit of a leadership conversation with you this morning, and I want to I want to close it up. But I, I want to ask the worship team to come back. We'll do a song and lift up some worship to Jesus as we're finishing today. But this is what I want to ask you as they're coming: Is that are you renting what God has given you responsibility over, or are you taking ownership? How about your home? Uh, are you? Are you taking care of your home, the place where God's given you an opportunity to take ownership, or are you just renting? Is it always, you know, somebody else's job to clean it up? Is it always your wife's job to clean it up? Is it always somebody else's responsibility? Hey, how about your job? You know, are you taking ownership over your job? Is is your boss just this mean old guy and, you know, you just do the bare minimum to get paid? Or are you, are you going to be like Joseph and put down some roots and take ownership and say, you know what, I might be in Potiphar's house today, but I got a promise to go to the palace. And I know that how I respond to where I am is going to determine to where I will be. I'm going to take ownership. I'm going to take responsibility. I believe that although this may not be the place that I land forever, because I'm here, it will have favor on it. 
it will be successful. It will be awesome because I'm here, because that's what I do. Because I'm a son. I'm a daughter of God. I'm a leader. I'm a discipler. I'm mature. I want to bear fruit. How about your family? You know, are you treating your family? How about your wife, your husband? How about your kids? Are you treating them like it's somebody else's responsibility to disciple them, to care for them, to lead them? Uh, maybe somebody else will, somebody else will help. Somebody else will get that. Are you pointing out the problems, or are you taking responsibility to find solutions? And Joseph's master took him and put him into prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. And he was there in prison, but the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in prison. Whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. This was a bad circumstance, and maybe that's where you are today. Maybe you find yourself today in a bad circumstance. Maybe you don't like the job, the state of the family, your friendships, your relationships, maybe even the church. But what I want us to do today is I want us to move prophetically from being consumers to contributors. I want, I want us to move today prophetically from, from being infants tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine and teaching it's Ephesians 4 and let us move into maturity let us move into the full stature of Christ Jesus let us move into a place of bearing fruit let us move into a place of ownership let us move into a place of stewardship in taking responsibility as the leaders and the disciples that Jesus has anointed us to be Amen. Please stand with me today. As we're finishing, I, I feel compelled to tell you guys a very, very quick story. Is that okay? Very quick story. There was a season in my life where I felt like I was stuck. Anybody in here ever been in a season where you just felt like I'm stuck? I'm stuck like Chuck. I just, I can't get out of this. And, and you, you tell your friend, man, I'm in a rut. Y'all know what a rut is? It's a grave with the ends hollowed out. And that's all it is. And you just feel stuck. And it's not necessarily a season of sin. You're not doing anything wrong. You're doing your best, but you just feel stuck. And I was in a season like that. I just felt stuck. And I was praying. I was reading the Bible. I was going to church. I was a part of my church family, my community, but I just felt stuck. And one day I was in my car, I was driving, and, and I felt the Lord just kind of whisper to me. I said, God, why can't you? And I was telling him, why can't you just take this away? Maybe that's where you are today. Why can't you just deal with this? I'm ready to move forward. I'm ready to move into my destiny. I'm ready to inherit my prophetic promises. I'm ready to get those words that were spoken over me three years ago. I felt like God whispered to me. He said, you need to confront this because you can't take this into your future. Before David could be the king, he needed to slay Goliath. 
And what you're asking me to do is remove Goliath from the situation when I put him here for you to take him out. Now I want you to stand tall. I want you to straighten your back. I want you to stir up the gift of God that's been imparted into you through the laying on of hands. I want you to just get that flame going till you're fully consumed. And I want you to run out into the battlefield. I want you to confront the giant that's confronted you. I want you to take it down and I want you to step into your future. I'm not going to remove it for you. I want you to plow through it so you can plow right into your promise. And I felt encouraged by that. What I, the reason I'm telling you that is because maybe you're not just, maybe you're not stuck. Maybe you're not stuck. Maybe you just stopped. Maybe you're not stuck. Maybe you just stopped. Maybe the problem that's in your path is just the Goliath that God's ordained you to slay. So just put your hand over your heart right now. Jesus, I pray courage into our family. I pray ownership. I pray fruitfulness. I pray responsibility. I pray maturity. I pray that we grow. I pray that we grow today, God. I pray that something shifted today. And that, God, you'd place your hand over the seed that's been planted into good soil so that we might bear 100-fold fruit with you and for you. In Jesus' name. And everyone said...